Exactly. I said I was going to probably just start speaking different languages because of how confused I feel, and, and we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Who knows what that means? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, so there were like three or four things that I was like, thinking about preaching on today that's been on my heart this whole week and I had such a weird dream last night it took me about a half an hour to tell Tommy about it and when I woke up yeah it's not abnormal but when I woke up I thought it was just one of those dreams that didn't mean anything you know I didn't think it was from the Lord it seemed very random and I woke up and was like confused first thing in the morning like oh no I need a word God like you need to give me clarity about which one of these things because you know, he has timely things that he wants to say to us, and we want to, as best as we can, hear from him and, and speak what he's saying. And I, as I was sitting there mulling over it, trying to think through, and he said, no, I want to speak to you through the dream. And I said, oh, the dream didn't mean anything. Like, that was the most random dream. So I started to think through it again, and instantly I heard him say the story of Joseph. I'm not going to tell the whole dream because it was so intricate, and, like, I was wearing the basic parts that, stood out to me as soon as he said it was that I was wearing a multicolored bathing suit at one point that changed colors and then I was I was at a beach and it was sunny and I moved to the other side of the beach and the water came in and then it turned to snow and every it was snowing and people then changed their clothing and I didn't have clothing to change into and people were going snowboarding and then another main part was that this little kid had lied about something that I had said to everybody and they said Wesley I'm sorry he comes up to me and says Wesley I'm sorry that you're put on parole for leadership meaning I had to step down t step down from a leadership position because this little kid had lied about something that I had said and other people were trying to figure out if I really said it and I guess it was a really bad thing but I hadn't said it so it was a lie and I was really upset about it and blah, blah, blah. And so those were the three points that God pulled out of the dream for me. And then I heard the story of Joseph. And I said, a multicolored thing. It's a coat of many colors, right? And then a change of seasons very quickly where he was his father's favorite son. And then he was thrown into a pit and in slavery in one moment. And then and he wasn't prepared for it, right? He was he was not expecting that to happen and then parole someone lying about something he did Potiphar's wife lied about Joseph sleeping with her and it put him into prison took him out of he had gained a place of position and we'll touch through some of these points but that's what made me think about that story and we're going to talk about the story of Joseph today in light of successful Christianity and that's been on my heart a lot what does it look like to be a successful Christian so first of all, what does it mean to be a su success in our culture? Because we have to examine what we've been fed our entire life so that we can expose places where that's in informed our Christianity. So number one, what does it mean to be a, a success in our culture? So these are a couple of things. Maybe you'll think of different ones that you'll want to add to it. But some things I thought were wealth. You know, being a success in America means you've got a lot of money. You've made it. A good job means you've been a success. A good family, material things, if you have a nice car, if you have a nice home, you must be successful. Um, schooling, education, if you've got your PhD, we say, wow, that person's successful. They get a nice job out of their PhD. They're smart. 
um, which results in money. Uh, independence, where you're not depending on other people for things. Success. You haven't failed a lot. Success. And if these things aren't happening, I don't know if you've thought of any others that people say, you know, make you a success. I thought those were the main ones. And if these things aren't happening in your life, then you're doing something wrong. You're not working hard enough. You're lazy. You got to try harder. You got to change your path. You got to go someplace else and do something else. And we're measured by that, by our culture, right? Um, and it's across the board everywhere. And it's been fed us our entire lives, and maybe even by our parents, by the places that we worked, by our influences in our lives with good intention, wanting us to, to thrive in life, right? I don't think that people were just wanting to attack us. I think, especially even parents. I know my dad, he really, like, talked to me about my grades in high school. And I got good grades in high school, but he pushed me, pushed me to get better grades, better grades, better grades for the purpose of college, which I never went to, and getting a good job and ha setting a good path. Now, was he doing that out of malice for me? No, he had good intention in his heart toward me as his daughter. He wanted me to do the best that I could. But what does it speak to? It speaks to my works, how hard I'm working and being a successful person in life so that he could boast in me. And I, I'm not saying he did it for this reason, but I'm saying in a general sense in our culture, so that the parent could boast in the child and say, my child is doing this and this and this. Well, if I'm not doing this and this and this, am I not successful then? That means I got to try harder, change my path. I had someone say to me once, um, actually, I don't want to say that. Okay. <laughs> I got stopped. The Holy Spirit grabbed my tongue. <laughs> He's like, uh, no. <laughs> What does it mean to be a success in Christian culture? So that's just in our, in our regular culture. That's what it means to be successful. So it's easy enough, easy enough, for us to step out of that and look at it and say, yeah, I recognize that. Let me find out in my life where that is. But what does it mean to be a success in Christian culture? And again, we've missed the mark in a lot of ways, and that's why I want to address the ways that we tend to think success is in Christianity. We think success is a big church with lots of people, right? If a church is booming with thousands of people, we've said they've been successful. They have position. Someone who has position, we say, they're successful. They've made it big. They have a big following, right? Famous worship leaders or famous speakers, they've been successful. Their gift or their talent has made them stand out. So it makes people want to boast about them or follow them and not necessarily, again, always in a bad way. You know, it's not that we all have this negative intent, but that's not what the Lord meant for successful Christianity. It's someone who's successful in our Christian culture is producing tangible results like a revival in a city, church growth, etc. Making many disciples, we're saying you're so successful because we see it. We see the fruit, right? And so it's easy to get to that place. And if we're not doing that, if we don't have position, the, the huge problem with this is if we don't have position, if we're not seeing big growth, if we don't have a huge congregation, we fall into the trap of saying not successful. I'm not doing what I need to be doing. I need to change my path. I need to work harder. I'm being lazy. 
woe is me. It's all this, it's actually our culture now just into our Christian culture. And it feeds our worth, it feeds what we're doing. And so if these things aren't happening, then I'm doing something wrong. I need to work harder. I need to try harder. I need to change my path because if not, people are going to look at me and say, you're not doing, you're obviously not doing what God has called you to do because it's not resulting in this success. You're wasting. I've had people tell me I'm wasting my gifts before because of certain choices I've made areas of the world the Lord has called me to go and he s- they said oh we're not seeing any fruit where you are so you're wasting the gift God has given you and I'm like wow yeah ouch for them you think it's more about my gift than obedience ouch we've missed the mark So what does it mean to be successful in God's eyes? And that's where I want to land today because we have to be grounded in this because our culture and even our Christian culture, our family, those around us, it constantly comes at us to say, you know, are you producing something to show that that you're being successful in life, right? So what does it mean to be successful in God's eyes? Because this is what we want, right? Above all else, all that I want, when I stand before him, When I get to heaven, I'm not going to be thinking about, did I have a lot of fruit in my life or um, tangible things? I'm going to be thinking, did I love him well? Did I obey him? Two things only are going to be on my mind. Did I obey him and did I love him? The fruit is his responsibility. It's not my responsibility. Success in God's eyes means faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. It's simple. It is not complicated. We don't have to do a lot of things to be successful in God's eyes. It's faith and obedience. Faith from Hebrews 11. I mean, the whole chapter we know. We've read through so many times. But 11 verse 6 specifically says, without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. You could have the biggest church around. You could be doing a tremendous amount of ministry out of your own strength, out of your own gift, and out of your own talent and ability with no faith, not looking to him to be your strength. And it will be impossible to please him with those things. Ouch. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So my faith is the foundation of pleasure to him to be successful in his eyes. I have to be moving by faith that what he's saying to me, I'm doing. That I'm believing in his promises. Simple faith and obedience like we've been talking about. To usher in revival even. To bring his presence. Obedience, John chapter 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And then verse 21, that's verse 15 of chapter 14, John 14, 15. 
And then verse 21 says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, this is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. Us saying that we love God does not mean us just doing a bunch of things. When I say I love God, it's not an emotion that I have. It's not a feeling that I have. When I say I love God, I'm saying I obey him. I'll do anything he says because I love him. It's so easy. I mean, think of it in a marriage. If Tommy kept saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, but wasn't doing anything to please me, to honor me, but he's just using words, words don't mean very much, right? He'd say, uh, you don't love me. You're, you know, you're selfish, you're self-seeking or whatever. It wouldn't work out that way. In the same way, <laughs> he's not. He's very loving and he loves me well. But when I say he loves me well, I mean that he knows who I am and he serves me in a way that produces this honor and respect and care. In the same way, when I say I love God, I mean, how do we know that God loves us? He died for us. He did something. He sent his son to demonstrate his love. Love is demonstrated. It's our obedience to him. When he says something, I receive it by faith, and I'm going to do it. This is success. This is success. Comparison will kill us. Because our culture feeds us the what success is, and even Christian culture feeds us what success should look like, if we begin to compare, we will be killed. It will kill us on the inside. It's like doubt and unbelief, like, grips us in that moment. Well, I'm not as successful as so-and-so, or we're, we don't look as successful as so-and-so, and it just, our faith will go like this, and we'll question, and then we run. That's what happens. We question it, and then we run. But if we're grounded in the fact that we say, my success is faith and obedience. So what God has spoken to me, if I'm doing it fully with my full heart, with my whole heart, nothing else matters. What anyone else says to me doesn't matter. People in my own family told me that I was wasting my gifts. People who love me and that are Christians. Was your intent bad or evil? I don't think so, but I believe that the enemy used that in a moment. To challenge this place in me, am I grounded in the fact that I am obeying God and that's all that matters? And it's tremendous pleasure to him. Honestly, to tell you the truth, even if we didn't grow beyond what we are now, I would be completely content because my success is in obedience. It's not in a number. Do I want to see souls saved? Yes, I have a longing for people who are in captivity come out of it. But if we don't ever see that happen, I can tell you honestly today, I will pour out every ounce of every gifting he's given me into this place in obedience to him because it pleases him. It brings pleasure to him. This is what we're after as a community. That's why we pour out and pour out and pour out. It's because he tells us something and we say, yes, Lord, we love you. We'll do it for you. Anything that you ask, I will waste my gifts at your feet. Like the woman who broke the perfume, 
right? She went and got the most costly thing that she had, the most expensive thing that she had because Jesus had come to her house. And she comes with all these men around. And women did not have much value at all in their culture or in that area. And she comes crawling in to the feet of Jesus as he's eating. And she breaks this alabaster jar full of the most costly perfume. It took a year's wages to buy this. She breaks it open and pours it out on his feet and begins to wash his feet with her hair. The glory of a woman is what the Bible says. She washes it, washes his feet with her hair. And Judas says to them, she should have sold that. That's a waste. She should have sold that, and we could have given the money to the poor. Right? Doesn't it sound good? Sounds really religious. We should have done something with this. We should have given to the poor. Right, Lord? And he goes, no, no, no. You've missed it. Uh, not to mention that Judas was taking money from the thing. So that's really what his ulterior motive was. And, of course, Jesus saw it. But she didn't care what it looked like or if it was just for this one moment. She said, I'm breaking it out over Jesus because he's worthy. I'm giving him every last ounce that I have. Here it is in one moment. And that was success. That was faith and obedience. And that now her testimony, that story is shared everywhere, all around the world. People remember Songs are written about that, breaking this alabaster jar, because she wasted, wasted her perfume on his feet. She spent it on him. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to spend our lives, every ounce, every gift, every talent. I don't have to be through in front of crowds. We don't have to be in front of crowds to find pleasure. Uh, no, that's not my success. That's not my value. I, we, each of us with our gifts, with our talents, we are before an audience of one and we say, Father, this is for you. That's what the gospel produces in us. Father, this is for you. Yes, we'll try to reach the lost. Yes, we'll preach the gospel. But at the end of the day, this is all about one man named Jesus, and we're pouring our lives out over him. He's given us gifts, and he's the only one worthy to receive them back, 100%. And you see Joseph, coupled in faith and obedience, his father, just a side interesting fact, because I've been reading this book on culture and the Bible lands. But the tunic he wore was not actually different colors, which I thought was funny. It's translated multicolored, but what it really was was this tunic that is the same type of tunic that Jesus wore, but a tunic that had no seams on it and had long sleeves. So it was a special tunic that they would wear underneath their clothing, and only wealthy people would typically have them because it was more expensive to have the long sleeves and be without a seam. And that's what his father gave to him that his other brothers did not have. So it was definitely a special garment that spoke of wealth and position. But anyway, Joseph, he's born into this family, and then he gets all these dreams, right, of them all bowing down to him. 
Now, who knows if he was supposed to share it to them or not? I don't know. I mean, that might have been a little presumptuous (laughs) of him. But he shares it with his brothers, and in a moment, so he gets blessed by his father. He's getting these dreams from God, telling him of position, of so promises, right? Promises from the Lord saying, you're going to flourish, You're going to be a leader. You're going to have authority. And Joseph is excited, right? Who wouldn't be excited about promises like that? And you're like, oh, my gosh, let me share with the closest people to me. I'll share with my family. And they say, because of jealousy, right, they say, "Uh, who do you think you are? That, you know, you think we're going to bow down to you? The story of Joseph is in Genesis, starts in Genesis chapter 37. Um, and we're not going to read through the whole thing. I'm just going to go through the s- parts, but you should read through it. I read through the few chapters today, and it was like <gasps> so cool. But anyway, Joseph, because of his faith and belief in the promises of God, creates such jealousy from his brothers that they plot to kill him, right? They throw him into the pit, and in a moment, he's being sold into slavery, now, you could imagine in that moment saying, Joseph is not successful. He is leaving in bondages to Egypt. He's being sold away from his family. Can you even imagine? Like the modern day slavery today is what? Human trafficking. Can you imagine your family selling you because they hated you that much? And then you're leaving in bondages thinking, uh, were those promises really from God? <laughs> this doesn't look like leadership. This doesn't look like authority. This looks like captivity. But again, he goes, he gets into the house, sold as a slave to Potiphar, and God's favors on him in all that he does. And he rises to the highest position of authority in Potiphar's house. What happens? Potiphar's wife comes after him. Sleep with me, sleep with me, sleep with me. And Joseph over and over again runs away from her, denies her. So she plots against him, right? She grabs his cloak as he runs away from her temptation. And then she sits there crying all day until Potiphar comes home and she says, oh, he tried to take me. He tried to rape me. What a lie. See, he left his garment. So because of a lie, Joseph gets put into prison again. Slavery, again. He's like, all right, does this look successful? Does this look like the promise that God had for him? Nope. Didn't look anything like it. He's kept into slavery, but what happens? God's favor is on him. He rises to the highest authority position in the jail. And then he starts interpreting dreams, right? The two dreams that happen, and they come to pass. And so when Pharaoh gets put in the position and Pharaoh has a dream about the famine, they say there's a man in the jail. So he was serving God with faith and obedience even in a jail cell. Jail cell. And be- sale. <laughs> jail cell. And because he did that... <laughs> Because he did that and he was faithful in a place where it didn't look like there was any fruit. Nobody was watching him. He was faithful there. He was remembered. And when Pharaoh has a dream, they say, there's a guy in the jail. 
and he can come up and he can interpret your dream. He interprets the dream. They set aside food during the famine, and Pharaoh exalts Joseph to the highest position over all of Egypt. And then his brothers come and they bow before him and we see the promises fulfilled. This is such a clear picture of when you're in, in the midst of your journey and it's not looking like the promises of God are happening, will you still believe? Will you still be faithful? Will you still remain? Because that's what Joseph showed us. We know the end of the story, so it's kind of like, yeah, but he got exalted in the end. But do you think in the, in the middle of that, when he's in the jail, he knew that that was going to happen? Nope. Do you think when he got sold by his brothers that he was thinking, oh, this is just part of the promise of God. God's going to use this somehow to make me the highest ruler over everything, and my brothers will still bow it to me. Nope. Guaranteed that's not what his thoughts were. But he continued to stay faithful, to be obedient. And this is what we need as a community to say is successful Christianity. We don't want to be moved by what anyone else is saying. We want to be moved by the promise of God. What he said we will do. We will not give up when it feels dry, when it feels like we're in captivity, when it feels like nothing's happening, when we're not seeing fruit, when we're not seeing the promise fulfilled. That was all of Hebrews chapter 11. At the end of that chapter, what did it say? All of these people that I just named did not receive the promise, but they believed until the end, until they died. They believed, and for that reason, they're counted for as men and women of faith. And they're in this hall, what we call the hall of faith in the Bible, not because they received the promise, but because they believed the promise key, key, key. It was not because they received the promise. It was because they believed the promise. The two things that create, cause us to be successful in the, in heaven before God and all the hosts of heaven is our faith and our obedience. And it's, it takes work to remind ourselves of that whenever doubt tries to come in or the enemy kind of sneaks in his voice through family or friends or close people to us. Because I think that's the hardest thing for me when people closest to me say stuff and I'm like, <coughs> that hits deeper. It's family, it's friends, it's close people. And they're like, okay, I've got to guard myself from any discouragement and remind myself. Is that a whistle? He's just whistling at me. <laughs> I can't even do it. <laughs> anyway, so this is what I was so on my heart today for each of us, that we need to get to a place where we are so confident in faith and in our obedience and where we are right now in our lives and in what we're doing with our lives, how we're giving, how we're pouring out, how we're obeying him and being fully content and joyful in that place. And I can see it. I mean, when we gather together, that's the sense that I get anyway. There's so much joy. There's so much life. There's so much hope and faith. 
but I, it was on my heart today that I don't know if there's going to be attack against that, and we just need to be, be prepared for it mentally, be reminded of it spiritually, whatever it is, to just be ready that when the enemy comes in and says stuff to us like that or these lies, that we would see it clearly and say, ah, ah, yeah, I'm not receiving that. That is a lie. Because before the Lord, it's my faith and my obedience. No matter who it comes from, I'm going to take that thing and throw it out the window and think, wow, God must be about to do something great if the enemy's trying to say lies like that to me. If he's trying to get me to get to run away, wow, something big's about to happen, and that's exciting. So, Father, I do. I just ask for that today, that this example that we have of Joseph and his perseverance, his faith, his obedience, that we would live out that type of commitment that says our faith pleases you, period. Our obedience is our love for you, period. That we would love you, unconditionally love you, unconditionally obey you, have faith to move mountains in the spirit, God, we want it. I pray that you would strengthen each one of us today in our resolve to do what you've called us to do and to believe your promises. No matter what it looks like, no matter even if it looks like we're being sold into captivity, we would continue to believe your promises and say he's never failed us yet. And we declare that today. You have never failed us yet. And God, we will, as a community, waste our lives on you. We will waste our gifts on you. We'll pour them out like that woman. We break it open and we pour it on your feet because you are worthy, Jesus. We love you. You are so worthy of it all, Jesus. You're worthy. You're worthy of it all. You're so worthy, Lord. You're worthy. Give us clarity in this season. Each one of us individually and corporately as a body here. We love you, Jesus. I worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.